Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Will East once again in for the vacationing rhino in the Element Well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music on this Friday Eve as Rhino would say. What's happening there Will? It's a, it was a little bit cooler again this morning. I'd say it's comfortable. It's very comfortable. I'm loving it. I'm Walked out, let the dog it. out. I propped my door open again this morning. Boy, it's like <laughs> like fall almost. Yeah, it's it's uh, quite nice. It's it, it's that always that tease of the tinge of fall, football in the air. You know, you get sometimes at this point in the month of August, which is smack dab in the middle of the summer, actually. So. Yeah. But then you look at the forecast and you see this big <laughs> rolling wave of triple digits I know. about to smack you in the face <laughs> as that football kicks off. Wow. Yeah, you are right. Uh, no doubt about that. I saw a an article about the states that are most vulnerable to natural disaster, states most impacted by natural disasters. If I'm not mistaken... Our great state of Mississippi ranks top of the list, just in terms of damage and uh, and just the money associated with recovery efforts. Well, I mean, we we have hurricanes, we have tornadoes, we have floods. Yeah. Um, this was a wallet drought. hub. This was a wallet. You're right. This was a wallet hub state. Mm-hmm. Wallet hub is very fascinating in terms of some of the research they do. Mississippi number one, Louisiana two, Texas three, Florida four. And you're right, we're, we kind of get the quadruple whammy, right? Yeah. Just as you said, you described there with all the various, but we are ranked number one. What, what state is ranked 50? I, I bet I can guess it. Uh, let's see here. Okay, guess. Michigan. Maine. Maine, okay. Yeah. I'm a little shocked at that. Nevada, 46. Utah, 47. And then uh, New Hampshire, 48. I haven't found 49 on the interactive map yet. Michigan, 35. I thought Michigan would be much. Yeah. I guess they deal with a lot of winter storms, but they don't have, obviously, hurricanes or tornadoes or... 
things like that. Well, how about this one? Montana, 13. What's that all about, I wonder? I don't know. Same deal? Winter? Nebraska? They have enough people to report when there is something <laughs> going true. on. That's true. It's a gigantic know? state. Nobody lives there. Uh, I know that those of us that were in the data center business, NOAA, we would actually research NOAA-published information. That's the, what does it stand for? National Oceanic something authority. I don't know. It's the weather people. I have to look it up. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Ah, okay. But they publish reports specifically for um, location of of data centers and in terms of something we would be concerned about, which is areas that are least susceptible to a natural disaster and catastrophic events because, from nature. Because that's where you want to be located, right? Right, right. So, as I recall, and they would they would produce maps that would like shade areas in terms of of the the risk. Mm-hmm. And the bubble of southwestern Texas. If you could just kind of draw, uh, if you think about it, a circle that would extend just uh, west of Austin, okay, and then go north somewhat, encompass San Antonio all yeah. the way down to El Paso and everything uh, in between that, was the least vulnerable. Just no no hurricanes, no tornadoes, no earthquakes, hmm. very, very low risk, and, and as a result, consequently... Certainly in the early days of data center build-out in the mid-2000s, a bunch were being built in that San Antonio area as a result of that, because it was considered the least susceptible, least at-risk area. But I guess the further you move east in Texas... Different story. Different story. Yeah, think about Houston and hurricanes and the whole coastal area, Galveston, not a good spot. And then, of course, the uh, what they call it, the Piney Woods uh, area of eastern Texas, Tyler and so forth, mm-hmm. hurricanes, uh, hurricanes and tornadoes primarily are a big problem. But heck, here in Mississippi, we got all the above. Everything. And yeah. then, of course, the heat right now, uh, which is, got, you know, the past two days have been very nice, but I, I was looking at the forecast, as I said earlier, and triple digits three or four days in a row. No, at my house, there's no rain in sight. Yeah. Just bright old sun, my poor grass is about to wither away. Yeah. You know, what's crazy about that, Will, is I did a lot of of replacement of shrub and plant damage from the winter. Remember the severe winter yeah. we had right around Christmas? And around town, you can see uh, a lot of the, the various species that just didn't survive that. And And now, all of a sudden, we're hit with this. It's not so much the heat as it is the drought, just the lack of water. And you're starting to see the pine trees drop needles prematurely. That exactly. just usually doesn't happen. And in some of the other deciduous trees dropping their leaves a little prematurely. Well, if you remember in June, we, we had a lot of storms and we had a lot of rain, um, especially in my area where I live. And my neighbor, after that kind of passed, my neighbor got all of their landscaping redone. All of it. Yeah. Everybody, I mean, they had backhoes out there. They had all their landscaping redone. And now all those new plants... They're dying. <laughs> I'm telling you. And they need, of course, when they're new, you know, they don't have the root structure. Yeah. They do once they're mature. And it, I think it's always a good idea to to plant sometime in the 
early spring, April time frame when you're sort of outside of the frost risk. Uh, but they give it some time, give the plants some time to uh, grow those roots, and you're typically blessed with good rains to yeah. to nurture them. Uh, I feel bad But then, for boom, them. right into this drought, you know. And then the other time, of course, is – and that's what I'm doing. I had some, some damage from the – uh, some of the new plants I, I I put in the ground in the May time frame, the drought, despite my efforts to keep them alive with hand watering with the hose in my sprinkler system, it's just tough on them with yeah. the shallow roots. So I'm going to replace them in October and hope and pray they get uh, through a good winter growing season and push those roots down and they won't be as vulnerable come next spring and summer. But it's just unusual set of circumstances. Yeah. But yeah. – we move on, certainly not dealing with what they are oh my uh, gosh. saddled with in Hawaii. Man, that's just devastating. So depressing to see Lahaina. It's just a clip of uh, paradise down there. And uh, not anymore. It's just brutal. Apocalyptic. I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah, so... I um, I don't know what the plan is down there. Of course, right now they're trying to just locate everybody. Still, what a thousand missing? The death toll now up over a hundred, I believe. It keeps growing each and every day. And it's a sad deal. The president has said he will visit uh, next week. I believe he and Jill are headed. He had um, what I thought was a, a terrible comment, which was no comment when he was asked about it earlier this week. Really, really, I think, demonstrated the lack of concern. and I thought he was supposed to be Mr. Empathetic and all that sort of stuff. That didn't seem very empathetic to me uh, when he was asked. It was kind of a flippant comment. And that was, of course, when he was uh, vacationing, which he's still doing, apparently, and headed to, I think, Tahoe may be there this week after making his speech about Bidenomics in Michigan. And his speech focused on, by the way, the Inflation Reduction Act, as we're sitting here one year after that giant legislation's passage. And he really didn't say anything about inflation. Even though the bill is titled the Inflation Reduction Act. Nope. He focused on the rich paying their fair share. I'm so tired of that tired, long-in-the-tooth refrain. He talked about the reduction of greenhouse gases. And he said, when I think climate change, no joke, I think jobs. That's what he said. And, of course, lowering health care costs. He can't explain how that uh, occurs in the Inflation Reduction Act, but terrible. Clueless. We got some sound we got to play for you later from Corrine Jean-Pierre that she... uh, KJP. KJP, as she discusses the situation in Hawaii. Uh, Let's just say she bumbled a bit like her boss does. We're coming right back. We're in the Element Well studio today. Steve Azar at 11.05. Ashley Edwards at 12.05. We appreciate you joining us. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do it. 
seem to be a shadow in the city All around people looking half dead Walking on the sidewalk harder than a match, yeah But at night it's a different world Go out and find a girl Come on, come on and dance all night Despite the heat it'll be alright And babe, don't you know it's a pity The days can't be like the nights In the summer, in the city In the summer, in the city Oh, isn't that appropriate? The Loving Spoonful bumping us into this segment here in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Join the conversation on the C Spire text line. That is 601-879-4395. The market hopping all over the place again like a kangaroo, as Rhino describes it. It was up <laughs> earlier. It is down now. And you know what's driving it? China's economy is faltering. Yesterday we talked about the centrally planned economy of China, second largest on the planet, and it ain't doing so hot. They have discontinued the <laughs> publishing of unemployment statistics. You remember yesterday, I think, or the day before I shared that the unemployment rate amongst 18 to 24-year-olds is north of 20%. They just expunged all that information. They say, we're not going to tell the world anymore. That's a centrally planned economy. We only want the good people of China under the regime's rule there to know the good stuff. You know how they are about yeah. that. And they want the rest of the world to think they're just perfect and hold them up as the model society for the rest of the planet. Sadly, we have people in this country that believe China represents a model society. Some of them are sitting in Washington, yeah, which is insane. So in the meantime, investors are concerned. And you know what one of the chief concerns is, Will? Of course, the faltering economy means they buy less American stuff. That's a problem. Uh, the good news is when their economy is struggling, that they don't consume as much oil, and that keeps the global price down, though it's still pretty dang high. I submit if China's economy were humming along at the rate it was pre-pandemic, it's still not fully recovered, not to the extent the economy in this country has. If it were, if it were uh, trending at that level, I think we'd be looking at $100 a barrel oil right now. Now, doing a little extrapolation, it's in the low 80s. You, you can figure that out for yourself, folks. That means instead of the 330 or so, which is what I'm seeing, kind of just calculating an average in my head here on the signs I see along uh, my route, the gas stations, that puts you about $4, just mm -hmm. under 380 390 for regular in Mississippi. Which is the lowest in the country, by the way. Uh, that ain't good. And that is strapping American households. Yet, Joe Biden, he goes up to, to Michigan, he's touting Bidenomics. And I tell you who else is. This is really crazy. It's our friend, the race lady, over there, Joy Reid. I call her the race lady at uh, MSNBC because every single time... 
she does her show, you can best believe there will be some racial grievance that she'll discuss. So, <laughs> yesterday she interviewed another one of my favorite communists, <laughs> Robert Reich, as Rush Limbaugh used to say. <laughs> and <laughs> she says, they are trying, this is Reich talking about the... Republicans, especially those running for president. They are trying to deflect attention from the fact that the economy is great. It's a Goldilocks economy, says Mr. Reich. I'll tell you, I've been watching and participating in economic policy for at least 30 years, and I don't recall an economy that is this good. But the American public, the Republicans basically want, do they want to talk about wokeism? What is that? He exclaims, they won't talk about critical race theory? I don't think most of the country really cares about this stuff, but it is a deflection that at least among certain people in certain parts of this country, it is deflecting attention from what's really going on, and that's a Goldilocks economy. Good grief. I mean, has he seen mortgage rates? No, and that's a good point. Housing affordability as tracked by the industry, at an all-time low. Now, we were told by this president as a candidate, I'm running to restore the American dream. And typically, when you think about the American dream, that means you grow up, you go to school, you get a job, you get married. Now, of course, that ain't the American dream anymore. A lot of people are mad about even including the idea of the nuclear family and the picket fence, you know, that we mm-hmm. envision as uh, a symbol of the American dream. But you you aspire typically to buy a house. A lot of people do. And they, yeah. they consider that their so-called piece of the American dream. And it is uniquely American. Let's be honest. And most get to that point in their 20s, late 20s. Well, now the average age of someone buying a house, 36. You can't do it. You got a shortage of housing. So even though we got mortgage rates north of 7%, which prices a lot of people out of the market, typically when you see rising mortgage rates, you see demand drop off, and thus the price of housing falls. And so you get some degree of offset in that, yeah, the mortgage is, the financing's more expensive, but the principal is lower. Yeah. But that ain't happening, because we have a constraint of housing, um, and we have, at the same time, have high interest rates. We did get some indication from the Fed yesterday. They're a little split in their interest rate outlook. And the market sold off yesterday because I think they largely believe we're going to see more rate hikes because inflation is not being reined in, is not being tempered. We got retail sales a little better than we thought. The surprise was Walmart. It's really incredible when you think about a company that's over $500 billion, almost $600 billion of revenue. You get that big... It's really hard to grow, if you think about it. When you're starting, and you're not very big... Sky's the limit. Yeah. I mean, so it's no big deal. You keep growing. You you start, as we say in the business world, 
You start penetrating the so-called white space, just areas you're not in, for example. Well, Walmart's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And it was shocking to me, and it was the investment community, that they reported results, and they showed same-source sales up, which is just incredible to think about. And so that, unfortunately, is considered somewhat bad news for the Fed. All these dang consumers are still out, got money, still spending it, and that's thought to drive inflation. Of course, the left says, it's just corporate greed. That's all it is. They know they can get away with it. They're just charging more. You fools, you're the one that dropped money out of helicopters, which gives them liquidity to go buy stuff. It's their policies that did it, that produced that environment. Something that I also caught after hours, the report from Cisco Systems. Now, that's a little close to my, to my home there because my company, at the time we sold it, we were the 20th largest Cisco partner in the country. And that's out of a couple of thousand. Now, you may not know it, folks, but virtually every time you type a keystroke and communicate digitally, I can assure you that there's some Cisco infrastructure behind the scenes that's making that possible. It's like air. We all got to have it. You don't know about it because it's stuck in closets. It's stuck in giant racks and data centers and, and communication hubs. But uh, POPs, as we used to call them in the, in the telecom world, points of presence. But I promise you, your stuff's all going through their gear. 50,000 in their catalog, by the way. That's what networks consist of. Well, they came out, and they had a, uh, their shares went up because they said, hey, orders surprisingly were up significantly, and they attributed it to, of course, artificial intelligence. And this is this is the game and the model that I've witnessed in my time in the industry since I entered it, which is software drives hardware and hardware drives software and software drives hardware. It's just a cycle, which is a good thing. So now all this AI stuff, guess what it's got to have? More powerful infrastructure. And that's driving Cisco's uh, business. So this, this was good news uh, for the company. Shares up a buck 14 uh, analysts had forecast a buck six. Sales were fifteen billion when I sold my company. They were doing about eight billion a quarter. Now fifteen billion. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on on Super Talk Mississippi. Ah, yes, the smooth vocals of Dusty Springfield. I'd have to say it's one of my favorite female artists. Dusty in Memphis. It's awesome. You wouldn't know it, but she's from swinging England. That I didn't know. Yeah, she was not an American. Oh, didn't I know that? Yeah, she sounds like she's from the South, you know. Yeah. Well, have you not observed, though, that many British 
vocalist, recording artist. You can't artist. tell. Right. You cannot tell. It's like a southern accent comes out. And <laughs> yeah. I always wondered if maybe that's because so much of our region was settled by UK. Yeah. I, it's probably it. But yeah, you're right. You A lot of artists that you would not think are... The Beatles. The Beatles. The way they pronounce eyes, for example. I, mm-hmm. like we do here in the South. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. I just would never know she's from England. Thanks she's for sharing England, that. That's but... pretty cool. Well, let's see here on the ceasefire text line. Uh, before we get to old Corrine Jean-Pierre there in a minute, I saw something from Moe's I wanted to get to. She's or, born in London. How about that? That is cool. Thank you for that trivia. Well, you're going to replace uh, Perez in your <laughs> knowledge of music. No, 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 no one can do that. What a great event that was last night. Yeah, it was good to see Out Perez. there in the audience, uh, the Super Talk team here honored Perez in a little retirement celebration at, uh, at Tico's up the road here, our good friend, Tico Hoffman. Have you ever been to this neck of the woods? It's a pretty good place to eat, and we enjoyed that. We Absolutely. appreciate Super Talk management for... Um, having us all together for that event, it was pretty cool. Yeah, he'll be he'll be missed, man. One of a kind. He didn't give a speech. He did not. It's not his style. <laughs> it's not his style. Not at all. But uh, I always had a lot of fun. Anytime he'd sometimes he'd just be walking around the halls, you know, and he'd hear me just talk about music like you and I just were, and he would just pop in and put the headset on because <laughs> he just knows so much that he's a fountain of knowledge, and it's always a blast. Just don't bring up Bon Jovi around him. He doesn't like Bon Jovi? Bon Jovi stood him up one time. What happened? He was, he's told me this story many years ago, but he was supposed to interview Bon Jovi, or, or they were giving away like a meet and greet, and Bon Jovi was supposed to come down there. And this is back in Bon Jovi's heyday. This is when he was huge. And they were playing somewhere, and he was supposed to, you know, inter- meet all these people, and he never showed up. Huh? Didn't send an apology, just didn't show up. Said he oh. didn't, yeah. That's not good. So, anytime Bon Jovi gets brought up, <laughs> I can't stand him. <laughs> He's still sore He's about still them sore stiffing about him, it. huh? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, the, I think the first time, well, I tell this story, I filled in for Paul. And uh, Perez, of course, sits in that chair at about 604. When the show starts at six oh five, but I came on and of course I announced that I was filling in, and I used a little descriptor, a little adjective. I said for the iconic Paul Gallo, he stopped me right there, just screwed up my whole train of thought. He said, wait, 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 iconic. He ain't dead yet. No, I didn't mean that. So yesterday I told Perez he was the iconic Perez. (laughs) Oh, man. A lot of fun. Moe's on the ceasefire text line. We were talking about Walmart. So uh, just uh, some numbers for you. Sales grew in the most recent quarter, which is just an indicator to markets, to the Fed, that consumers are still spending money. And sales were up uh, for the 12-month period, annualized 6.4% over an expectation of 4.1. That was for the quarter. 6.4 versus 4.1 expected. Just said folks are buying groceries, health, and wellness products. That increased over last year. And uh, they're, uh, they're getting more purchases of the necessities. And I wonder if that's... Maybe, well, because people who 
perhaps buy those kinds of products from uh, the more localized sellers, that they're willing to pay a little more because of the convenience and uh, of maybe a, a smaller grocery store, for example, that's in your neighborhood, maybe willing to pay a little more rather than go to Walmart. Typically, you can park closer, for example, get in and out quicker, don't walk through a giant store, you know, to get what you're looking for. I mean, I'll admit I'm willing to pay a little more for that. And maybe it's just they've got to the point where, I don't know, I can't do that anymore. I got I got to go to Walmart. And prices, I would imagine, have a huge factor. I mean, Walmart is has lower prices on a lot of things. Now, the quality might not be as good. But right. They do have lower prices on a lot of things. And with inflation the way that it is right now, that that could be driving some of it. I mean, it's... My wife always compares. She'll sit, you know, she'll look at a price and she'll say, "Well, they're much cheaper on this." Yeah, exactly. You know, and again, maybe the quality's not quite there, but and it's convenience too. You know, I yeah. remember I'm of the age where I remember when Walmart started coming around and putting a lot of these mom and pops out of business, and then you know, a few years ago, it was the opposite. These mom and pops started opening up again because people were tired of Walmart. Um, they wanted something a little bit more, yeah. better quality, and they were willing to pay a little bit more. And so, yeah, I think that's. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I think that's a fair analysis. But Mo says Walmart's losing older shoppers because we refuse to self checkout. Well, that's interesting, Mo's. Uh, certainly, their their data they don't show their sales by demographic by age group. They don't track that. We don't want them doing that. But the fact is, their business is up, and, and they attribute it to the increase in the sale of groceries, which accounts for the bulk of their sales, by the way. Groceries. Really? Wouldn't have thought that. So they're like the world's largest grocery store, hmm. which is kind of hard to believe. Most I take a little different uh, approach on that. I enjoy the self-checkout. I, never, I do, too. I never do um Man, check out there. I like to self check. And you know what? You go into these stores like Walmart, and you just don't see people manning the checkout. I don't blame uh, lines because they can put one person at the self checkout where you have like four or five term or six terminals. Yeah, and monitor that versus one person checking out one person at a time. Yeah, I, and. I, I just have a different approach. And I, I can tell you that the younger generations, for the most part, they would prefer self-checkout. They're they're just sort of accustomed to automation, if you will. And uh, our, our population is, is aging out, and we're, you know, slowly, of course. It's just the way generations work that's succeeding the older generation, which may be just accustomed to, you know, I want somebody to check this out for me and the next group. Uh, rather prefers to do their own checkout. I certainly do. Yeah, and uh, you're seeing it in some of the smaller. I'd say we call them mom and pop, but these smaller, more regional grocery store chains. I, there's one near my house that recently opened their first self checkout counter. Yeah, you even see it in Dollar General now. Yeah, true. Yes, and and to your point, uh, I too shop at uh, regularly a a, a more regional. Uh, oriented grocery store, and they just installed self-checkout mm-hmm. about three, four months ago, and there's six, and there's like nobody in them. And so I just run in by one thing and run out. Yeah, I like to go to their deli sometimes. Boom, in and out, super quick. And you look over, and there, there are two lanes 
for uh, where they have man checkout, and there's four or five people deep with baskets full of groceries. Mm-hmm. And so, boom, I just go right through it. I, I enjoy that, prefer that. Uh, you know, I'd, almost, I'd also make this point, and I know this probably will agitate some folks. It's just an observation. Voting. Voting. I'm worried about literally running out of voters. And here's what I mean by that. Talking about the upcoming generations. Don't think about kind of the present contingent of voters, which honestly is mostly older folks. Younger folks not as interested, not as engaged, not as likely to vote. Think about going to political rallies, for example. Political events. Usually don't see 20-somethings there. Just don't. They're not interested, not engaged, worried about other things. But as time progresses, I just don't see them hopping in their car, going down to the circuit clerk's office and going through the, the process, or even starting it online, going through the process, signing all that sort of stuff, to register, right? And then on Election Day, getting in their car and driving to a ballot and presenting their ID and, and, and getting their ballot uh, and casting their ballot, I should say, and just taking their time out to do that. When they're sitting there saying, and I'm holding my phone up, well, why can't I just do that here like I do everything else in my life? Yeah. And that's my concern. I'm not, I'm not saying I, I like that. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying I think it's something we got to be aware of. That, uh, wow, I can conduct my entire life on my phone, except I can't vote. Okay, well, I'm not going to vote. That's my concern. We already have voter apathy is a huge problem. Mark in Gulfport says, I'm really offended that you're using the term manned checkout. Oh, I know. I, st- I should have. How about staffed? Is that okay? Staffed. I knew that was coming. Thank you, Mark. That's funny, Mark. Okay, cancel me. <laughs> We're coming right back. Stay with you. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. Girl, you just don't realize. What you do to me when you hold me in your arms so just not the same as the great BJ Thomas version. No. We are back in the Element Well studio. After the break, it's Steve Azar and Sarah Francis Hardy. They'll be talking about the One Mississippi Children's Book and the Mississippi Book Festival that's coming up this weekend. I had an appointment yesterday, Will, down Secretary of State's office, working on a little project with him that the Secretary has asked me to participate in. And um, I noticed that all the tents are set up, getting ready for the book festival out there in front of the Capitol. It's going to be pretty cool. Ashley Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, former president and CEO of Gulf Coast Business Council, also 
Of course, the Super Talk Mississippi News column contributor joins middays at 12.05. We'll talk about the political landscape. So, we got some sound here for you from Corrine Jean-Pierre. You know who she is, the White House press secretary. Now, you would think, folks, that before you go to the podium to discuss the, a natural disaster, especially one of the scope of that which has just decimated Lahaina on the island of Maui, you might want to check on how to pronounce the names of their U.S. senators that represent Hawaii. Also, you might want to check on, you know, in this new age, you might want to check on the gender. That's true. Of the of senators. the senator. Here we go. Senator Harino, who I said the president spoke to uh, just last night, he thanked the president uh, for the immediate support of federal agencies wait, have wait, delivered wait, wait. for residents of he, Hawaii. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, he thanked. He yeah, thanked. Senator. You catch that? Yeah, he. He. Keep going. Um, and so does has uh, so has uh, Senator Shorts 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 Senator huh? Harino. <laughs> so KJP mispronounced Harino Harino's name, calls her a he, then mispronounces Senator Brian Shots's name. <laughs> she was thinking about where Biden is traveling. Harino, <laughs> it's in Nevada. Hi, Reno. <laughs> it's Hirono, and the senator. I'm not a big fan, but it is a she. <laughs> it's Maisie Hirono. And she's a far-left loon now. There ain't no doubt about that. So so KJP misgendered. Misgendered. She's got to be canceled. <laughs> because I think Miss Hirono has told us all that her pronouns are she, her. <laughs> oh, it's just so beautiful. Unbelievable. Uh, and then Brian shots. What'd she say? Short sheets, shoes. <laughs> she said one word. I, you know, I don't. You can't you, even say. Yeah, you should not even supposed to say. Oh gosh! Look, we're all subject to making these errors. You know that being in this business. Right? Absolutely, and no doubt about it. And so, I, I don't. Um, I'm not trying to mock her or ridicule her, but you got one job. You're the White House press secretary. You know what you're going to be saying. It's like they hand her a script before she gets up there. Certainly she's checked out. I mean, something we do here on this program before we have guests on. We want to make sure they get their names right. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? How do you pronounce it? Is there. People appreciate that. Yes. And that's coming from me, a person who's had their name mispronounced his entire life. My entire life. Every time I type it into my computer, it says, <laughs> it are you, do you mean Gilbert? Right. And my first name. Often, they, yeah. I get Gerald. I get Gerald Gilbert. I get that <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but uh, Senator Hirono, by the way. Not Harino. <laughs> oh, my gosh. On the ceasefire text line, we were just talking about self-checkout. We had a lot of folks said said what you said to me on the break. Love Sam's scan and go. Scan and go is the best thing. This I I go to Sam's Club with my wife and we get a bunch of stuff, you know, Saturday morning or something. And there, you know, there's just a ton of people there. Big long lines at the self checkout, and they're down to like one only one or two man self checkouts at the Sam's Club that we visit. And I see the people in the 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 self checkout lines just waiting, and then I realize, you know what? I got my phone right yeah. here, and you can scan each item with your phone. You walk out the door, you show them your phone. 
and then you're on your merry way. You don't have to sit around and wait. It is so convenient. Several indicated the same. Adam and Baldwin said that uh, on the ceasefire text line. Love Sam scan and go straight from shelf to buggy the truck. Jeff from Starkville, the strange checkouts are the ones that weigh your items. Well, yeah, sometimes when you buy produce, it throws I, you I, off a yeah, little bit. to do that a little bit, but it's still pretty uh, simple. Charlie and Brandon says, I'm 69 and I love self-checkout. Unlike the cashiers of today, self-checkout can actually make change. So that is true, by the way. Uh, the reminder, I should say, is the cashier. That's what they're referred to. Cashier. Cashier. Human cashiers. But we have one person that um, said these are real jobs that real people need, and we are doing the work for free. I'll gladly self-checkout to save money and save time. And, and I'll address that later on in the program, that statement about real jobs and that people need. That just indicates we just stop all progress and innovation right now. We're coming right back after Fox News Super Talk News with Steve Azar and Sarah Francis Hardy talking about the one Mississippi children. And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone hour two of middays live from the element wealth studio gerard and will east on this friday eve we welcome to the program our good friend steve azar host of in a mississippi minute musician mississippi's music and cultural ambassador and also sarah francis hardy children's author and illustrator sarah steve thanks for joining us sarah i'll let you go first Hi there. Thanks for having thanks for having me. I'm in the car, so I hope we we can continue to have good service. Yeah, we got you. All right, good. so so Steve, uh start out by telling us about uh the One Mississippi Children's book. What was the uh, inspiration for the idea and and how much does this correspond with the state song One Mississippi? Well, it has everything to do with it. Uh, one has, uh, I guess now they're going to become intertwined, uh, and we're so excited about it because, you know, the way to take it to the children, uh, it's one thing in song, and I've seen it firsthand, hundreds and hundreds of kids at a time, 50 kids at a time, 10 kids at a time singing it with me when I'd go visit schools, but to take it to the next level where these seven incredibly beautiful kids that Sarah Francis created and illustrated, and chronicles basically the lyric. It just takes you in a walk in history lesson through the lyric. It just, it just moved me. I mean, it's I, talking about being grateful before Gerard, you know, getting to know Sarah Francis and, and having uh, this now documented, and we're seeing a lot of schools going to start adopting it already with the, the curriculum that, that we've created and Sarah Francis put down in a, a way that I can understand now <laughs> for, yeah. for everybody. So we're just excited, man. It's, just, it's, it's an amazing 
blessing for sure for me as a as a creator. Yeah, very cool. So, Sarah Francis, uh, how did you come to be involved in this project with Steve? How did you guys kind of collaborate on this? Well, we we had a mutual friend who who put us together, and we just started talking. And once I heard the song and and saw the video with the kids singing, it it just opened up all kinds of wonderful creative possibilities of, of what we could do with it. And so I I just got going, and I created a cast of characters to to walk through the world of Steve Steve's lyrics and. It, it just bloomed from there. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. I, I've uh, reviewed uh, somewhat of what is available today, and, and Steve, appreciate you sending me the teacher's guide. That's really cool. Yeah. So tell us how that will be used. Sarah, you want to do that? Sure, sure. Well, as I was researching, um, when I was doing the illustrations, I researched all the lyrics, and, and Steve would have a lyric about, you know, agriculture and things that grew in Mississippi and all the crops that were grown in Mississippi. So when I was doing the illustrations, I started researching that. There was a page about food in Mississippi. Yeah. So as I was researching all of that, I learned so much. And uh, Steve had actually had the idea about thinking of a way to have it in the curriculum in schools. And through my research, I wrote down everything I learned and started looking at sort of some of the core requirements that are our teachers in Mississippi are required to integrate into the classrooms. And as I did my research, did the illustrations, I started thinking of ways that we could adapt mm-hmm. some of the, the things that teachers teach the kids about social studies, history, culture, and specifically culture and history in Mississippi, and wrote a teacher's guide to go along with the illustration. And in all the illustrations, I added things that aren't in the lyrics. Um, you know, for example, in the on the food page, you know, I had to put in a big plate of catfish <laughs> and Mississippi mud pie and things like that. So. Sure. Um, there is an illustration guide too that explains all the different things that I that I've added to the illustrations to to just give you a little more information. Yeah, it, it's awesome. Just just looking through in the teacher's guide, uh, Sarah Francis, you in, include some possible questions related right. to to the subject matter that a uh, a teacher might ask, and so I'll just share a couple of those. Uh, for example, that, that caught uh, my eye, there's a section on musicians. And, of course, uh, we all know that Mississippi has a rich history in, in producing world-class musicians, including our guest, our friend, Steve Azar. And one of the questions asked are, uh, what happened at the crossroads? Why are we called America's music birthplace? Who is considered the king of rock and roll, the father of country, the king of blues, which covers a large swath of musical genres right there, all with a deep connection to Mississippi. This is awesome. Uh, this is the kind of stuff we all, as Mississippians, ought to know. You know what's great about this is they're going to learn it between K and third grade. We're not sure exactly what the perfect sweet spot is, 
But we feel like created, when the book was created, we had those grades in mind. Yeah. But Gerard, the cool thing is that, you know, that there's teachers already that are adopting it, and they love it. And they're going to help us decide where they feel like that perfect grade is. And so if they have the book in front of them, and then they have all these questions that they can ask, they're going to learn a lot of these things that a lot of us didn't know until we were later in life. Right. And, and didn't get to appreciate. So the whole point is, you know, we can set the stage for kids really loving the state, their home state. Uh, maybe they'll stay here and work here later on and pay yeah. taxes and, you know what I mean? Yes. And make a big difference. So it's, it's just, it, it, it just puts a pride level on Mississippi that, you know, we all feel like uh, that deserves it, you know, on a global way, you know, and, you know, this is just, it's awesome. So giving them the opportunity to appreciate us and where they live is so important. Yeah. And it's so cool, Steve, the way that the uh, the lyrics to uh, to the song ha- have been uh, introduced into the book and then also into the, the teacher's guide as well, uh, and then the illustrations that show some of these famous Mississippians, wow. like our authors, and, and, you know, one of the suggested questions is to, to uh, connect the illustration of the author to their actual work, which is really cool. I mean, it's just yeah. well done there. It's going to go pretty deep. It's going to be a lot of information. And, and obviously the song, it would have been 42 minutes long if I could have, could have kept going. But, but I tried to be more generic and more fragmented to open up the idea. Now, listen, when I was writing this, I was not thinking about today yeah. and where we are today with a children's book out that, you know, that's out. We're going to be debuting at the, at the Mississippi Book Festival. We're there Saturday at 1 o'clock, so we're excited to be in the Capitol. And, uh, I mean, Sarah Francis and I and, and Neil White, our publisher at Nautilus, we're just, we're going to be there with bells on and we're really looking forward to it. We're going to have, uh, the kids are going to show up, I think, and sing with me. Is that right, Sarah Francis? I think so. I think we'll have, a, we'll have a big group. Wow, that's it's awesome. It's going to be warm, so <laughs> yeah. everybody get ready. We're going to be outside on the lawn. Um, in the children's tent at the book festival. That is great. I was down there yesterday on on some business with Secretary of State, and I noticed all the tents set up there. Uh, in fact, they've already got it blocked off the uh, the street that's uh, right in front of the Capitol there on the on the south side, and that's going to be awesome. So you're going to be there with my good buddy Neil White, right? Yeah. Yes. So yes. all right, Neil and I were fraternity brothers in college. Wow. Neil used to throw That's me touchdown great. passes in intramural football. And, of course, you're, you're familiar, Steve, with his, his works, Mississippians, several versions Ooh, of those. We have, we have one in the green room. So um, i, I got to tell you, I'm honored, I'm humbled, I'm featured in one of those books uh, under wow. the business section. Cool. And, um, Neil, fantastic job putting all that stuff together. I'm so cool. Please tell my good longtime friend, Neil White, hello. Uh, you guys have done fantastic. Steve, I get the pleasure of seeing on, uh, on the screen here in the studio you performing the song with Mississippi children uh, yeah. arranged with them. It's so great that we're teaching them something good, something positive, which is just woven throughout the lyrics of the great song that you created, my friend. Oh, man, that's, it's been amazing to watch. And, you know, kids have a memory that is, I wish we had when we get older. They remember and expect that they remember it in yes. song, and then when they, and when they look at a children's book, they see it. So we've got both now, and uh, like I said, I'm eternally grateful. And this, is the, this is the biggest 
He was the biggest hit of my life, I can tell you. It's awesome. Congratulations to you, uh, Sarah Francis. Fantastic illustration there. And this is the kind of stuff we should be teaching the children of Mississippi. That's what I'm grateful for. This is awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's been a great project to be a part of. Y'all have a great festival. We'll talk soon. See you. Thank, thank you. you. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Mississippi to this land called home. I'll breathe Mississippi till I'm dead and gone. Just carry on. I'll carry on. Mississippi. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's middays we are in the element well studio that would be the raspberries rasp raspberries with eric corman that's right who okay. was uh, made some solo hits as well right? and one of the saddest songs of all time all by myself right all, all by, by myself, myself. <laughs> yeah a lot of people don't know that is uh, yeah. eric carmen yeah singing there for the raspberries Appreciate that, bumping us into this segment. And appreciate, of course, Steve Azar and Sarah Francis Hardy. I, I did review the teacher's guide that's pretty cool. You know, we talk a lot on the program about the nutty stuff happening in our schools in this country. And here's an example of something good, positive happening, where yeah. children are learning about Mississippi's rich and storied and, and uh, magnificent history in a positive way, in learning about notable Mississippians and their contribution to society across a range of disciplines. Yeah. Agriculture, of course, and and the arts, music, um, uh, authorship, writing. Incredible. It's just incredible, all from a small state like this. Athletics, good grief. Oh, yeah, athletics and... Um... There's a sign that they came out with many years ago that says Mississippians can read, and some of us can even write. And it's, you know, Ernest, uh, it's uh, William Faulkner and, you know, uh, Eudora Welty and others, uh, just pictures of them. But uh, by the way, uh, Sarah Francis Hardy, Neil White, your yeah, college buddy, brother. who's a yeah. publisher now, and uh, Steve Azar, of course, are all going to be on In a Mississippi Minute today. Oh. Uh, from 1 to 2 p.m. on oh, most Super Talk cool. stations, and they're going to be talking about the book and kind of the, the story behind it. But they're also going to be talking about Neil's book, Mississippians, yep. which features prominent Mississippians. Yep. So going to be talking about that uh, today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, of course, presented by Superior Catfish. Yeah, looking forward to that. Neil, a uh, couple of years younger than me. We were still at the same time, same fraternity. And one of my fraternity brothers that listens regularly who was uh, like a regional officer, district officer, 
uh, also said that he enjoyed working with Neil. He was the the president, what we call grandmaster, of my fraternity when he was a senior. So yeah. when when I had already graduated and left, but uh, and and I really never thought you know he'd be in the in the book writing business, in the publishing business like that. But that book, Mississippians, and there's multiple versions of it, mm. three or four. We have one out here, I yeah. think, in our green room here at Super Talk, and. I have, uh, he presented me with the one that features, uh, that I'm featured in. And, and the, you can customize the covers, by the way. So mine has my feature <laughs> on the cover, is what he did. It's pretty that? cool. And that sits uh, proudly in, in my house. Yeah. So, yeah, really, really good. And when you, when you look through those books, though, and you see, and he, he, he has uh, the various versions that have been, editions that have been published will categorize um, authors, entrepreneurs, business people, uh, artists, etc., celebrities. And it's incredible when you look at how many people, athletes, this, this, this state has produced. It's, it, it really it's unbelievable. is amazing, Gerard. It, it, it's like if you research long enough in the Mississippi, you find all these individuals, like, you know, the founder of BET is right, from Mississippi. Right, exactly. Uh, you and I were joking the other day, you know, Pine Saw was created right. in Mississippi. Exactly. And, was one of my customers, yeah. by the way. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> um, yeah, you're, you're so right about that. And uh, Delta Airlines. A lot of people don't exactly know that. Right. The Delta and Delta Airlines. Monroe comes, and the Delta. Comes from Delta, yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, it's just so so many uh, great stories that emanate from our state. Steve, of course, one of them, and he he tells that story. That's what's so cool. And so does Neil's book. And I think that's why they're probably collaborating here, is that they share that that passion for our history and the in the people that that built our state. And you know, I, I've always thought that. If you look at our culture today, I shouldn't say always, but in the last few years, you've you've heard, for example, the Democrats constantly bellyache. It's the end of democracy. They're having to show their ID to vote. It's the end of democracy, as an example. And, you know, one way I think you could end our democracy is if you constantly focus on the stains of our past. Yeah. We... As reasonable people acknowledge our our um, our mistakes, right? We should take stock in those. We can't fix that. We can't unmistake it. We can't reverse it. But we can move forward and learn from it and improve. And gosh, we never really take time to consider that and reflect on just how far we've come. We're human. We're flawed. We sinned. We made mistakes. We get it. But when it's in your face constantly, and when every every act, every decision, every policy has got an eye towards the past, I just don't think that's healthy. That's how you end a democracy. When you dismiss our founding, for example, that's, that's what I would consider moving towards ending democracy. Just those two things alone. And you think about all the other things happening in our, our country that, that I believe are mostly being pushed by the left in this country. It's, they're embarrassed. Look at our soccer team recently. I mean, that's ridiculous. What are they embarrassed about? 
sins we committed 150, 200 years ago? Well, nobody's ecstatic about that. Nobody's celebrating that. We need to learn it, understand it, consume it, reflect on it. But gosh, can't we... You're, you're playing soccer, representing the greatest country ever created by man, blessed by God, on a global stage with global fame. Don't you accept that there's something to that? Uh, th- evidently not. It's, um, you know, you, you think in accounting terminology that my accounting friends out there know what I'm talking about, the classic T account is how we used to learn accounting. Debits on the left, credits on the right, call it a T account. T account. Well, we're all a T account. None of us are pure debits, none of us are pure credits. We're a balance. God's plan. We're constantly trying to get better. We strive to be more God-like and to adhere to His Word. We should. And that really is not a statement on any particular faith. It's just good people in general. And we have to accept that there's been marked improvement through history in this country. Good grief. Doesn't mean we're giving up, saying it's over, we're done, we fixed everything, <laughs> we got nothing left to fix, we got no other problems, no other challenges. No. But, gosh, it's, it's miserable life if all you do is mire in the doom and gloom and the negative and, and uh, stains of our past. You've got to move forward and, and with an eye towards the future. And I, I get sometimes upset at even a lot of my friends on the right who just, it's t- constant doom and gloom. It's over. It's done. Through. I don't believe that. I think our best days are ahead. People think, you're crazy, Gerard. Our best days, are- yeah, I do. Why do you want to think otherwise? Who wants to live a life where you think, it's over? Yeah. What, what kind of inspiration is that? Yeah. What, what kind of what what kind of uh, just mental stability can you have when you think everything is just going down the tubes? I just don't believe that. It doesn't mean I don't recognize problems and want to fix them, but I still believe our best days are ahead. I, I thought the same thing, by the way, about all the doom and gloom back in the Carter days when I was in college. Then all of a sudden Ronald Reagan rises up and starts delivering speeches with a tone of optimism. You you went from, and I was not alive during this, but I, I, I've read about it, you went from the crisis of conscience. Yeah. Remember he, Jimmy Carter gave a speech that was labeled the crisis of conscience here in America and, you know, how far things have fallen to a few years later, it's morning again in America. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, there's, I believe that in order to achieve good outcomes, you have to see them. You have to envision. It's what they teach athletes all the time. You know, if you're a hitter, they want you to think about your bat hitting the ball and going in the gap somewhere. That's what you want to think about. Not, I'm going to swing and miss. You don't want to think that. Yeah. If you're a pitcher, I'm going to hit him right between the eyes. I can't get over the plate. No, that produces bad outcomes. you got to think about good outcomes. That's the, that's the best way to make them turn into reality, my view. 
The raspberries again bumping us out. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Ashley Edwards will be on with us at 12.05. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside. The show's about to start. We are back in the Element Well studio. It is midday, Super Talk, Mississippi. The C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. So, just kind of closing this out. So happy to see something positive in a curriculum, which is what just reviewing this teacher's guide is all about, teaching about the goodness of Mississippi. That doesn't mean that uh, to those on the left that want to just dwell on, again, our sins, our stains, our indiscretions, doesn't mean that that shouldn't be taught. So that you understand that part of our history. It's immutable. We can't make it go away. But to dwell on it, and only that, and never teach anything good and positive, well, that's not right either. That's not a good way to develop healthy minds and souls to inspire and encourage, I would hope that children see the success of so many of these great Mississippians and say, yeah, I, I want to do that. I could do that. That's typical for a child, right? You, you tend to gravitate towards and you select uh, idols, if you will. I'm not talking about idols above God, folks out there. I'm just talking about earthly successful people. Your that, heroes. Yeah, that you're just heroes, right? I want to be like that. And you, you want them to pick people who have uh, been successful in life and uh, who have, have led uh, a life of, of dignity and character. Sure, that's what you want to want to emulate. You know, you, you don't want to just dwell on all this negative. Again, that needs to be taught, but Seems like we just lack balance, just simple balance. The negative makes the headlines. It's all we see. It makes the news. It's what gets people riled up. They comment it on they comment about it on social media. So therefore it's it's what it's a content driver. Yeah. Basically. It, the good stories you just don't like Mississippi's education speaking of education, Mississippi's education system and the incredible improvements that have happened over the past what, ten years now. Yeah. And how far we've uh, progressed in our education system in Mississippi. You just don't you don't hear about it. New York Times calls it the Mississippi miracle. The governor was speaking in in Vicksburg yesterday. He, he's been good about referring to that, and touting yeah. that, and and quickly gives credit to Mississippians, parents, students, teachers, 
uh, our school systems that have achieved this distinction, have got the attention of the New York Times, got the attention of the LA Times, both of whose schools are failing miserably. Can't do math, can't read. Ridiculous. So we've we've ascended the ladder there significantly. Does that mean we don't have more work to do? No, not whatsoever. That's what gets misconstrued. Yeah. Nobody's trying to put a bow on it and say it's done. It's it's continuous improvement. That's a concept that's been around in the private sector for a few decades now. This this whole continuous improvement process, CIP, they call it. And it's no different in in uh, in our society in general, overall. So let's let's take some reflection of that. That it's it's good to celebrate success, mm-hmm. and, and you can do that without discounting or downplaying our failures. We're flawed humans. We have to accept that we're not perfect. Our founder said we constantly will work to form a more perfect union. Truer words were never spoken. We're doing that today. I just mark me down as one who's optimistic, who believes our best days are ahead. I truly do. I really do. I I don't want to think any other way. Who's Who wants to go talk to, I may have mentioned this on the show a couple of times before, but I think it's worth repeating. Who's going to go to, let's say, a young couple thinking about starting a family? Hey, don't do that. Because the whole thing's going to hell in a handbasket. Don't bring a child into the world. Think about the whole, how the, the world they're going to grow with yeah, up in. Why exactly. would you want to bring a child into that world? Well, if everybody just says, you're right, no children, no family, well, then we're over. I mean, that means the extinction of humanity. Some futures, by the way, have warned against that. You know, Shad White, our auditor, I saw an account by him where he discusses speaking at a community college here in the state for graduation exercises. And he talks about starting a family, investing in a family. He said this is the most fulfilling thing you could do. I think that's an appropriate message to graduating seniors or, or graduates at the, even at the community college level. And much of that comes from his experience, how fulfilling that's been, satisfying, gratifying has been to him to be a father. Many of us feel that way who are fathers and mothers. And some people lashed out at him for that. What do you mean telling me I need to invest in it? We didn't say you need to, but he just suggested it as is a, a course of a, of a good, fulfilling life. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have a lot of people these days are saying, no, I enjoy my freedom. I enjoy my disposable income. I've seen that. You know, I'm not having to spend it on household needs and, and familial needs. Okay, that's fine. But fact is, we need to keep propagating humanity. Yeah. Uh, we're getting warnings from that. I've talked about it before, how China's suffering from that. Japan's suffering from it. It went from penalizing you. Heck, in China, we don't know everything that went on, but uh, even aborting, mm-hmm. right, because of population control. That literally was their approach in many cases. Now they, they're trying to encourage everybody. Yeah, young it's, groups. and it's not just Asian countries. Uh, you've got some major European powers. That, France, for example, they're not having enough kids. It's, it's England, a, it, uh, the U.K., not having enough kids. Global problem. Hungary provides an, a financial incentive. Yes. I'm not a fan of that. Donald Trump has mentioned that as well, a financial incentive. 
to have children, to propagate. I, I it just that just kind of doesn't sit well with me. Fraught you know, with some issues, shall yeah, we say? Yeah, and it, you can just see crazy stuff that would happen there, but it, it just seems so uh, just sort of unnatural, shall we say? Yeah. Meantime, while we're talking about this good work that Steve and and uh, Sarah Francis, Neil White, so forth are doing with this work to get uh, the book in the curriculum in Mississippi schools. So many times, Will, I, I've talked on the show about how the states are kind of polarizing, they're bifurcating, they're sort of segregating across a uh, just a number of issues. There used to be sort of small nuanced differences between the 50 states, among, I should say, the 50 states in the country. But now there's a fairly long list of issues that states are just going in different directions on. Abortion's one that comes to mind immediately, right, where uh, many red states have, since the Dobbs ruling, have restricted, severely restricted abortion. you got the blue states have just made it wide open. They've just uh, increased access to it, even paying. Uh, another one that comes to mind is males participating in female sports. We had Riley Gaines here on the program. Probably the most high-profile activist against that, having personally experienced the wrath of that as an All-American swimmer when she was defeated, came in second against a male. It's a, it's a man. I mean, she lost to a man. And so this is happening across the country where we've got some states, such as ours, that do not allow biological males to participate in female sports. You've got other states that are going in the opposite direction, accommodating so-called transgenders. Well, you remember Governor Glenn Youngkin, who's surprised when he rose to prominence in a blue state, that of Virginia, very liberal state. And he defeated his uh, Democrat opponent to, to become governor. One of the first things he did is he worked there to put policies in place that do not allow transgenders, biological males, the typical case that transitioned to female, to participate in female sports. Nor does Virginia law allow them to use locker rooms and bathrooms. Well, Fairfax County, this just happened the last 24 hours, their school leaders have decided to keep policies in place, the old policies, and they're essentially defying the governor's policies. Now, how does that work? The superintendent says the district will be sticking with its current policies for transgender students, which means that students will continue to be addressed by their preferred pronouns and will have access to facilities and activities consistent with their gender identity. And the schools will work to protect the privacy of transgender students. This is the tyranny of the minority is what this is. This is insane. So they just come out and said, yep, we're not going to do what the governor said. They're just going to break the law in that state. This is crazy. If this crap's happening in Mississippi where folks are defying our law that prevents this, let us know. I'd like to know about it. We are stepping aside for a break. we got another segment in this hour, then it's Ashley Edwards after the news break at the top of the hour. 
Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is Middays, Super Talk Mississippi. We appreciate you joining us today. Let's see. Back to this statement we had, a text we got on the C Spire text line that was concerned about cashier jobs being replaced by automation. And, I mean, that's just, it's just part of societal progress, innovation, uh, always seeks to improve productivity, and productivity is the only way to generate wealth. Uh, probably the best example I could give of that, it was just a pivotal time in the history of the world, is when we figured out that the stuff under our feet, oil, could be used to produce fuel slash energy. When we figured that out, change the world. Forever. For the better. So guess what happened? We don't need livery stables anymore. Yeah. Put them out of work. Improve improve sanitation and a whole bunch of things. You know, somebody pointed out on the the C Spire text line uh, about this automation and self-checkout and how it's uh, getting rid of jobs. And then somebody else right behind them said, well, a lot of those people that were usually working the counter as a cashier are now filling orders for people that are doing this delivery service or pickup service that Kroger, Walmart, and a lot of these other grocers have nowadays. That's absolutely correct. I mean, it's it, it's always been uh, the case in history that when one job is, is, is rendered unneeded, a whole series of new jobs open up. Yeah that are needed. So we, we shouldn't just keep people employed in jobs for the sake of keeping them employed in jobs if there's a better way to do that job. And often that does involve automation, no doubt about it. But think about all the jobs created for the people who produce, maintain the automated systems. Mm-hmm. It's uh, unbelievable, almost immeasurable when you think about it in a good way, a good thing. So that that will always be the case. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks have these deep fears about artificial intelligence and how that will certainly change the world, especially uh, from a job perspective. I don't hold those views. I think it will create a whole new series of jobs. I've actually talked about yeah, they're out some of there those now, before. Yeah, whole new series of jobs. You know, prompt engineers making $150,000 a year that – uh, or specialist in using just generative AI technology. And that's just a sliver of AI. Uh, what were chat GPT and these other tools that will generate text. Uh, that's one genre, if you will, one category of AI. But every major company on the planet is investing in 
uh, massive AI efforts, even accounting firms. I talked about PricewaterhouseCoopers, a billion they have announced they're going to invest wow. in AI, both for internal use and to help their, their clients. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is fantastic. I mean, this is just launching a, a whole new industry. And I just shared earlier about how Cisco systems, they make the infrastructure. And so it, it, the AI technology is not only uh, driving their sales to customers who are investing heavily in, in AI that need more powerful more expansive infrastructure, which is driving their sales in a positive direction, but they're embedding AI in the management tools, in the software used to power that infrastructure, to, to take care of tasks that humans would do often learning about being notified of problems. You'll see it in all this stuff you and I are using right now. You know yeah. it's going to be embedded in all this stuff that uh, will help us do our jobs better and produce uh, better content for our audience. No doubt about it. Now, you don't want to force that. The market will figure that out. We'll, something will come along, and you'll yeah. see it. Well, I'm, I guarantee you, you will. You'll say, we're using it now. You're using it now. But yeah. uh, we're not even getting into how it could change all this infrastructure we have. And uh, just, again, to make the, the broadcast, the content, off and on air, uh, more reliable, better experience, all of the above. It's coming. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that is. It's probably a twinkle in somebody's eye right now. But somebody will invent it. On now. down the road, they're going to do it. They're going to invent it. And they're going to make money off of it because we're going to buy it. So, yeah, that does make things better. And, yeah. and that's just the way it works. It's capitalism, man. It's just yeah. it's beautiful. It's awesome. The idiots in Washington think they can do all that. That's what's just scary to me. Get the heck out of the way. Humans will figure this out. They have since the beginning of time, since humans inhabited the earth. Get out of the way. Let them do it. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News here on Middays. When we return, it's Ashley Edwards. Stay with us. The show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. It is hour three of middays on this Friday Eve. It's a delightful day today, but the thermometer is going to start ticking up tomorrow, right, Will? Absolutely. We got Ashley Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, former president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council, also a super top Mississippi news column contributor. Ashley, always good to see you, my friend. 
Hey, Gerard, good to be with you today. Well, let's get started by talking about uh, what happened just a little over a week ago here in the great state of Mississippi. That is, the voters chose their candidates uh, for their various parties that would represent those parties in the general election, with the exception of a handful of legislative races that are progressing to a runoff here in a couple of weeks. But what were your overall thoughts about the results last week? You know, look, I was a little surprised, frankly, that the lieutenant governor's race wasn't closer than it was. And I think that that speaks volumes about a number of things and about the way that voters responded to the way that the campaign had, had been conducted and for the issues and the different positions that uh, each one of the candidates took. I think it was a overwhelming win for Delbert, I think, considering uh, how tough of a race that would look like it was going to be for him. And in the end, he did really well. Uh, you know, when you sort of look at that county by county map, uh, the Jackson Metro uh, and the coast really delivered it home for Delbert. It was interesting to see the amount of support that McDaniel had up along the Tennessee state line in DeSoto County and Marshall County uh, and some of those counties. But even in the Pine Belt, where you would have expected McDaniel to come out really strong, uh, you know, he did very good in Jones County, but Forrest and Lamar County went for Delbert. And so really strong showing by Delbert. And I think probably a nod toward the fact that his politics work in Mississippi. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, and, I, and I know there are a lot of folks that um, are friends of mine. I, you have friends as well that uh, supported uh, Senator McDaniel and, and the, the senator I consider to be a friend as well. But this is his third time, right? And it didn't go his way. What's what's missing? I mean, he's a very capable person. He he understands the political landscape. He is uh, he's an excellent speaker. Has a great presence. Uh, we've said many times before when we've had Henry Barber on the program that probably knows as much about this stuff as anybody in the state. Honestly, with, with respect to to campaigns and running successful campaigns, the senator can get more done with limited resources, and by that I mean money. I mean, that's just that's public information. He was outgunned by the lieutenant governor virtually 10 to 1 in terms of uh, financial assets, but still made it a close deal, a relatively close deal, given that amount of money. What's missing, do you think? You know, Gerard, I've thought a lot about that that question. Um, and, and I think that my general sense is that the negative campaigning that was occurring, the sort of misinformation that was being propagated, even when it was clearly debunked and there was sort of no desire to walk it back on the part of McDaniel's campaign, I think it turns voters off. And, you know, the and look, I've been guilty before of saying, hey, negative campaigns happen because they work. You know, they, they show they, they show real results in the way that they move the electorate. But on some level, I think that what you're starting to see, not only in Mississippi, but America as a whole, is just a level of exhaustion with the culture wars, uh, the very negative personal attacks that are occurring, sort of the misinformation. Now, look, I don't think that that is across the board within the voters that you see that, that sort of pushback. Yeah. But I think what you see for the most part is you know, folks are worried about the things that they think about around their dinner table. They, they're, they're worried about their finances. They're worried about the cost of going and getting a mortgage on a new house. They're worried about their access to health care. They're worried about finding a good paying job. 
And in some cases, I think some of the culture wars just fall a little bit flat in the voters' ears. And Delbert, on the other hand, kind of took that high road, you know, really ran on his leadership, his experience on the issues, on continuing to want to get really pragmatic things done. Uh, and I think for the most part, given the fact that he's, you know, he's a, a guy that people know and people trust across the state, that was enough to kind of get him across. And, and again, you know, it wasn't a really close race when you really look at the results. I mean, McDaniel had a good showing, no doubt about it. But overall, Delbert was not really in any real danger of losing that race when you consider the turnout and the, the way these counties failed. Final tally shows uh, Delbert receiving 195000 uh, the Senator McDaniel 160000 Tiffany Longino with no money, gets almost 20000 So 35000 uh, vote delta uh, on the top there between Delbert and, and Chris. But Ashley, to get 160,000 of the total 375 ballots cast with very little money, I mean, the amount of money, honestly, yeah. and, and it, this is not being critical of the senator, but the amount of money that he had to run a statewide campaign was only two, two and a half X what was spent on some Senate races in the state. I'm talking about right. a state Senate races, a Senate district. And we have 52 of those in the state. That's, I mean, it's just amazing that, that he would get that many, but just can't. And it's fairly consistent if you look at prior elections in which he was a candidate. Just can't seem to get uh, over the hump there with the necessary number to prevail. Well, I think this is going to be really indicative, Gerard, of a lot of things that we're going to see over the next year. A lot of these Senate races and governor's races across the United States, because you are going to have establishment, incumbent Republicans with folks running to the right of those people. Yeah. And they're going to have a passionate fan base. They're going to have a passionate voter base that's going to really turn out. They're going to have a lot of momentum on social media. But the question really is, can they win a primary in the current situation that we're seeing in politics? And I think what you're going to see is a lot of folks kind of get close, but not be able to get across that finish line. My so, sense I, you is, know, I think this is very indicative we'll see across the country. Uh, I agree, and my sense is to get your take on this, Ashley, is that there's kind of a vocal set of folks, both at the state and the national level, that um, really encourage the vitriol and the personal attacks out of their candidate on others, and then there's I think a lot that are silent that are just sick of it. And, but don't say anything. They're just not the type to go out and say, I'm really sick of, of all the, the, the banter uh, and the personal insults and the mudslinging and the negative campaigning. I wonder if we didn't see a little bit of that manifest with 19,000 people. No disrespect to Ms. Longino, but the fact is she's never run for office before. She had few if no resources to, to run. Really didn't mount any kind of major campaign. I'm not so sure I even saw a sign anywhere in my travels across the state and gets pulls out 19,000 almost 20,000 votes maybe that's a silent group of people that are saying I'm just sick of all of it I'm just gonna vote for somebody that I don't think um, it, it doesn't represent the other two is not aligned with the other two is not like the other two they haven't earned my vote honestly I'm sick of both of them M might that be happening at the national level kind of behind the scenes we don't know about 
I think it absolutely is, Gerard. I mean, I, I think that the situation nationwide right now is so ripe for sort of third candidates to get that kind of support because folks are just sort of sick of the top two choices. And, you know, the apex of that is the 2024 presidential election. Right. I mean, you're going to have two guys who are likely going to be the nominees of their party for president, neither of whom are going to eclipse 40 percent approval ratings. That True. is just unbelievable when you think about when you think about that. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, and in watching, uh, turn our attention a little bit to national politics, we've got uh, President Trump being hit with another series of uh, another indictment, another series of charges therein from Fulton County. I talked about that quite a bit yesterday, uh, Ashley, and then I, I did review it in a great uh, with great more uh, focus the uh, the indictment itself. Some of the stuff's crazy. I mean, going after Mark, there are 18 other defendants, I believe, besides President Trump. Uh, yet we still got the DA saying, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get this this uh, trial going here in March." I don't see how you can do that with 19 defendants. And you know how that works. They all pull off and start asking for change of venue and to just uh, dismiss them from the case. One of those is Mark Meadows. Uh, when we come back on the other side of the break, I'm going to just uh, talk to you about that. And what they, they're they coming after him, what they're charging him with. It's just insane. we got Ashley Edwards, Coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, on middays. We're coming right back. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. Layla, maybe one of the greatest guitar riffs of all time. Absolutely. (laughs) We got Ashley Edwards, Coastal Mississippi Entrepreneur, uh, on with us on Midday. So just looking through, before we went to the break, uh, um, Ash, went through this latest indictment. And the first thing I will say is I've watched. It's crazy. It's surreal. Primetime television. You got a DA in a county that was just... You could just tell, just relishing the fact that they were on primetime TV across the nation. I couldn't name the DA in Fulton County before then. Most Americans couldn't name the DA in their own county, much less one in another state. But you could just tell this was grandstanding. This was calling attention to herself. Forget whether or not Donald Trump broke the law. That was almost irrelevant. It's just she found a way, you know, with her team to get this thing processed, and and all of a sudden, it's like they timed it so she'd come on at 8 o'clock, you know, at night, in the middle of primetime, to pronounce it. 
And I started looking through some of these charges, like Mark Meadows. You saw this. Because he asked somebody for a phone number? Are you kidding me? He wanted to know who, like, who's in charge in, in Georgia or something to that effect. I just want to call him. Like, that's a crime? And, and Donald Trump, they even said, well, you know, at a rally, he said that the election was stolen. That's a crime? No, that's not a crime. He can say that. You may disagree with him. This is when we start looking like a banana republic. This is, this is what aggravates people. Now, if he legitimately can be proven to have intimidated or somehow abused his presidential power to influence an election, well, that's wrong. I mean, and, and he ought to be punished, but they're going to have a hell of a time proving that's what happened here. Look, I think restraint is the word of the day with all of this. And, you know, Gerard, I'm, I'm no Trump apologist. Uh, you know, I never have been and never will be. I'm, I'm probably much more the Chris, Christie wing of the Republican Party at this point <laughs> in my life. Having said that, um, I think it's very dangerous some of the things that we're some of the lines that we're starting to see being crossed. I mean, when you have political groups conducting political activity and that's turned into essentially organized crime. Uh, and you're criminalizing those things, there may be situations where that is appropriate. There's no question. There may be situations where that's appropriate. But to cast these wide nets, sort of all-encompassing, um, and here's this, this, this should be the scary thing for liberals or folks on the left side of the aisle. Once these precedents are set and once these things start happening, that shoe is always going to be on the other foot. Exactly point. right. And look, you already have Donald Trump running what I consider to be on a retribution platform. That essentially is it makes up the, you know, 80 percent of his presidential platform at this point is retribution. Uh, and half the country believes that their government is at war with them. So if there has ever been a time in American history for the powers that be to use common sense, restraint, pragmatism and moderation, it's now. And in seeing those, that indictment come out of Fulton County, None of those words are words I would have used to describe that indictment. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, of course, dragging along uh, Rudy Giuliani and the like, who, honestly, he's really the one that popularized RICO statutes. I mean, there wasn't really much to that and, and, until he came along uh, as a U.S. attorney. And now it's being sort of used against him. Uh, you know, he's, he's being accused of, of engaging in uh, RICO and racketeering. And, and so that's it's just ironic, I think, to, to watch that. It seems like all that was planned so as to muck this whole thing up as much as they can. And, and now you got, again, the, the DA saying, yeah, we're going to get this thing cranked up like within a week or so of the big March primary. I think that's when we have ours in Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken. That's a, you know the big day. This is all contrived. This is planned. What have you been waiting for that? It sure seems like it. I mean, we're we're three years removed from when this happened. It just seems well it, politicized. It is politicized, and I think I think that everybody in America needs to just sort of have that "let's be real" moment to say, are these are these investigations and these indictments political motivated? Absolutely, they are. No yeah. question, they're politically motivated. Sure. You know, did Donald Trump do things that he shouldn't have done? I believe absolutely he did. Um, and so there are lots of things that can be true all at one time. These are politically motivated. Um, would Donald Trump uh, have done everything in his power to overturn what 
you know, has been proven over and over to be again to be a, a legally uh, done election. Yes, he absolutely would have. And so there, all these questions are there. But what we seem to miss in this 24 hour news cycle is the fact that the system worked. The election wasn't overturned. You know, yeah. there weren't false electors whose ballots were cast in the halls of Congress. And Trump Those asked for that. did not occur. He asked, he asked for that. Right, right. No question. He asked no several question. states, I mean, send a new group of electors. And Mike Pence said, you can't do that. As recent as yesterday, he reaffirmed, did Mike Pence, without really trashing President I mean, you know, Trump. It's the beauty of what the framers did with, our, with, with the way they designed the United States of America. There are checks and balances. State legislatures didn't overturn elections. Courts did not overturn elections. The system worked. And so Trump was not able to do what he ultimately wanted to do. I think any, you know, free thinking person would say clearly that's what he wanted to accomplish, but he didn't accomplish it. And so at the end of the day, all of that sort of has to be taken in with these indictments and things, which is, you know, he certainly made some attempts to do some things. But but we you know, Donald Trump is not our president right now. It's been interesting, has it not, uh, Ashley, that we haven't seen a lot of public reaction, at least, from Republicans in Congress. I've not seen anything too major. Kevin McCarthy may be about it. I mean, his comments were sort of mild, honestly, about the whole indictment thing. Ted Cruz probably been more outspoken, uh, certainly on the Senate side. I've seen nothing out of Mitch McConnell. I haven't seen anything out of Mississippi's delegation either. What do you think about that? What do you make of that? You know, I, I will tell you, I think that there are a whole group of national Republican politicians that have a, you know, sort of a strategy in front of them that says we're going to do everything that we can to cozy up and defend Trump because politically that's what's best for us. Yeah. I think you have a whole other group of establishment Republicans out there that says, look, Donald Trump is a loser. And even getting into that is going to be a losing effort. And so we're just going to stay away from Trump. But the truth of the matter is, Republican Party can't stay away from Trump. He, he is likely going to be yeah. the Republican nominee for president of the United States. And so, you know, it's something that all these Republicans are going to have to deal with. I almost wonder, Gerard, if, if the debate next week is going to kind of be the kickoff of really seeing that opposition to, to Trump solidify and start to take off. But as of right now, um, Trump is getting everything he wants. That, that is the only name that's being said on cable news. He is getting 100% of the narrative. Uh, you know, Joe Biden yesterday, it was, it was funny, I was flipping through the channels. He was giving a speech uh, somewhere and, and CNN went to, you know, the first two minutes and immediately cut away so they could go back to talking about Donald Trump. <laughs> so, you know, Donald Trump is playing this thing like a fiddle right now. It I mean, boosts it, their and, ratings. Uh, they miss him. <laughs> they, they miss him. You know, he was he, he was the money maker for all of them across the board. And uh, and he knows that, frankly, and that's really, you know, where his genius lies is the, the fact that he knows how to be in no the doubt. middle of the narrative nonstop. Uh, and, you know, right now, uh, these his Republican, you know, primary challengers are out there saying, Look, will someone just look our way and say our name once? Yeah. Because uh, they have no attention on them whatsoever. It's a little surreal to think we're going to have the first debate of those who qualified for it and be most qualified in terms of where they are in the polls and their and their money raising and so forth is Donald Trump, and he's not going to be there at this point. Doesn't look like he's going to show. Uh, you know something I've noticed uh, a candidate that that I really 
like a lot is Vivek Ramaswamy. Talked about him on the show quite a bit. He's risen in the polls now. He's doubled where he was two months ago. He's up at about 12 percent. I submit, Ashley, that before this thing's all over with, he will be number two. He will be number two. He's going to pass DeSantis. Christie's, as you know, has also risen up. And even though he said he doesn't want to be Trump's running mate, I bet at the end of the day he becomes Trump's running mate. And that what a ticket that would be, Trump and Ramaswamy. Right. I think that's exactly where we're headed. That's where we're headed. You know, moreover, I think that you're going to see DeSantis really attack him on Monday night. I agree. I think that... That is where all DeSantis' fire is going to go. He's going to defend Trump, and he's going to attack him. I agree. Always good talking to you, Ashley Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, also writes columns for Super Talk Mississippi News. Appreciate it, Ash. Talk to you soon. Hey, thank you, Gerard. Have a good afternoon. You too. We're coming right back. Half an hour left on Middays. We'll be right back with you in the Element Well studio. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi from the Element Well Studio. Up here in Corinth, says Louie from the 662, most of the Walmart associates are busy shopping for people using the grocery pickup. That's the main reason I use the self-checkout. How about that? Yeah, you can do that. Order online, right? Have mm-hmm. them shop for you. Have it Very ready to convenient. pick up. Yeah. yeah. It truly is. The one, let's see, the one that I'm speaking of was at a convenience store. This is Jeff and Starkville talking about the strange checkouts where they weigh your items. Circle K, I think. You put your items, drinks, chips, candy bars, or whatever, on what looks like a small pizza warming oven. Just pile them up at one time. Enjoy the show, Jeff. Yeah. How about that? If all jobs must be protected, says Ray on the coast, we would still have wagon masters and wheelwrights. Yeah, exactly. I remember uh, radiator shops, right, when I was growing up. How about television repair? Not much of that. You stole away. When I was in college, I worked at Rex TV and Appliances. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember we had a TV repair guy that would come by and... I don't know what he's doing now, but I don't think he's repairing TV because they don't really fix them anymore. Yeah, exactly. They're just disposable. Yeah. Uh, computers sort of headed in that way. We saw that coming in, in the industry. Walmart Plus offers something similar to Scan and Go. I didn't know that, like the, the Habit Sam's. 
I read where the state is already trying or talking about buying up all the property that was damaged. I don't know about that. Hmm, interesting. I work retail and corporate sales says our sales are beating last year's. I'm there. I see fewer people. What I do see are those the fear. Oh, few, few people are paying a lot more than they were two years ago, says Katie in Long Beach. I think there's no question about that. Everybody's feeling that pinch when they go shopping, but we have a president that all they want to talk about again is climate, sex, and race. That's all they want to talk about. So in him his remarks celebrating, I use the word very loosely, the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act uh, yesterday, he, that's what he touted. All these investments in green energy and creating jobs for green energy and, and uh, allowing Medicare to negotiate prescription drugs and making the wealthy just start to pay their fair share. Because the top 1%, which pays 42% of the income taxes from a dollar perspective in this country, well, that's deemed not fair. So the top 1%, by the way, pay more taxes from a dollar value perspective than the bottom 95, that according to the IRS looked at the data. Think about that. Top 1% send more to the government than the bottom 95%. That's fair? These guys need to learn how to do some math. Let's see. Craig from Moss Point says self-checkout actually creates other jobs, like at Walmart. They can use personnel on deck for Walmart carryout delivery because they're terrible at that. Well, I think they're learning Honestly, in, in improving that, I'm sure that's not an easy ordeal. Uh, I've had pretty good success with it. Well, let me tell you, I go to the grocery store for my wife sometimes, and I screw up. All the time it happens. So <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you got the wrong uh, that's olive true. oil. You, you know, know, I make mine send me pictures, and I look at the yeah. picture. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me a description. Send me a picture. Send me a picture. I want to know. And or what I'll do sometimes, I'll take a picture of the things Same I have here. in the cart. Send it to her. Is there any mistakes in here? <laughs> we were talking about famous Mississippians, Judge Maybelline from Court TV from Mississippi. Really? I didn't know that. You know, it's one of those things where, especially in this position, you learn a new famous Mississippian or somebody you didn't know that was from Mississippi. Yeah. It's it's almost, I don't want to say daily occurrence, but certainly a weekly occurrence. Yeah, I agree. Our response to the statement, says Brian and Meridian, uh, pardon me, in Madison, in Madison, it's the end of democracy should be, it's not a democracy, it's a republic. Well, I hear you, Brian, but it's it's a representative democracy, which is the same as a republic. But I, but you know what I'm saying here, and, and yeah, they, they, they tend to, to uh, use such crazy hyperbole to fear-monger is what they do. I mean, honestly, they said that when the Dobbs case was repealed, that was the end of democracy. I mean, that's yeah. literally the way they looked at it. And, and just back to all these issues that divide the states, abortion's one of them, voting's one of them, crime, taxes, uh, content in the schools, 
allowing biological males to participate in female sports. By the way, somebody did remind me that Riley Gaines, that is correct, actually tied, tied Leah Thomas. And what Riley told me when she was here on the program off the air, and she told me she didn't mind me sharing it, was that the NCAA official approached her, and she actually asked, what are you going to do? We tied. And she approached the NCAA official with that question who said, we're going to give it to her, which is a him, for, quote, the photo op. That's what she said. And, of course, everywhere she goes, the transgender activists come out of the woodwork. They've attacked her physically. They've attacked her physically. And supporters. Um, In many cases, like in Texas a couple weeks ago, mothers with their young girls. Uh, They're spewing vile profanity at them, spitting at them. Again, this is the tyranny of the minority. No doubt about it. Uh, That was Moe's that reminded of that. Did you know your phone runs on fossil fuel? Of course, everything is, that requires power, electricity, there's it's, it's usually in, some fossil fuel everything. component. Yeah, the sure. glue that holds your shoes together is probably is, is made with, uh, if you're drinking out of a water bottle, there's petroleum in that somewhere. Yeah. Someone said a lot of these places ushered in automation after they demanded $15 an hour for a minimum wage job. Well, there's some truth to that, that says Darren and Jackson, but I think the reality is, Darren, is that it's just natural for um, an organization, especially a private for-profit organization, I wish it were also the case in not-for-profit environments, but it's natural to constantly uh, pursue uh, more efficient forms of automation. Of uh, operation, I should say, and automation is a big part of that. I mean, it's what built the automation industry, one that I made a living on for a long time. And I got great satisfaction from seeing our clients adopt and implement the solutions we would offer to improve their organizations. In fact, our our mission was to help organizations achieve excellence. That's what we went to market with. And uh, that, that, of course, spans a a variety of aspects of their operation, be it be it em- employee efficiency and experience of their customers and quality of service they're able to offer, product quality and and um, cost control. I mean, it's a series, uh, faster uh, access to data that's needed to make good decisions, decision support systems we call them, and yeah, so that's that's the whole deal there. And we, you know, we're so accustomed well to instant. We want it instantly. Instant. And the good news is we got tools that allow us to do that. People are willing to pay money for that instantaneous access to that information. And guess what? Some people got rich doing that, <laughs> creating all that. That's what the left just can't get through. They just can't can't comprehend. Uh, also, there were some folks that were um, had some some issues with Ashley's. Uh, analysis of the lieutenant governor's race, where he said that he thought that uh, that the negative campaigning on the part of Senator McDaniel was was a factor in uh, in the outcome of the election. What I didn't hear that some folks are saying on the ceasefire text line, I didn't I didn't hear Ashley say, well, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman didn't engage in that activity. He he did. I think that's pretty obvious. I don't have a scorecard where I can say, well. This candidate did it more than the other. I don't know how you calculate that, honestly. I mean, how, how do you do that? But I think what is true is that historically, 
the senator's calling card has been to contrast himself to entrenched incumbents, what many would call the so-called establishment. And he, he tries to draw a comparison there. He, he does very good at that, honestly. And in doing so, he, he's going he's gonna to be critical of uh, the incumbent. Uh, all of his races have been that. And I do think that's a factor, but there's something else going on besides just that. I think Ashley just mentioned that as, a, as an issue in the race, but I think he would agree, as I do, that there, there's something else beyond just that. It's not just limited to that, that matter, that aspect of the campaign. We're coming right back with Fleetwood Mac. Bumping us out of this segment into the final segment on Middays. We're in the Element Well studio on this Friday Eve. with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. We appreciate you uh, joining us today. So on the ceasefire text line, here is reality, whether you would like to admit it or not. 99% of Mississippi votes Democratic for local elections. If everybody that was Republican and lean conservative would have voted and was able to vote in the Republican primary, Delbert would have gotten beat 3-1 to one his political careers over in this state. Your math doesn't add up, man. Sorry. Not even remotely close does it add up. Not even close. I mean, it just doesn't add up. Uh, first, 99% of Mississippi voters didn't vote Democrat. <laughs> and it's, uh, if that were the case, you would see the number of ballots cast in the Democrat primary be 99 to 1. And it wasn't. Well, not even close, honestly. It was a fraction of the Republican ballots cast because there just weren't any Democrat primary elections that pulled people out. I get it that there are some counties where there's some local races, districts actually, and counties, local races where sheriffs and tax collectors and tax assessors and judges and the like, constables, somehow are on the Democrat Party. And folks did feel compelled to vote in that primary, therefore were not able to vote in the Republican primary. But those are also very small counties. They're not the big counties. Doesn't happen. And and that's not where the voter concentration is. So certainly you could think that, but the, the math, you'd have to provide me some math to support that rather than just sending a text in on the text line. 99%? It's a lot. So, 
99% of Mississippi votes a Democrat for local elections. Not true. I, d- I never have. As an example, I live in a pretty populated county. No, it's it's changed so much in the pa- really in the past twenty years. Um, the county that I grew up in, Chickasaw County, all the local officials they were all Democrats. They may have been conservatives, but they were on the Democratic ticket. And now that has changed tremendously. Yeah, it's still like you said, it still does occur, but for the most part, it is not. Yeah. So half the officials in North Mississippi run Democrat, whether they're Republican or not. We all vote Democrat to have input in our local election for our clerks to our sheriffs. First, why are they all Democrats? And you're making the point that Delbert would have lost. You you have no data to support that. Send me some data. Don't just say, you know, just talk in, in high-level what-ifs. Send some data. That's the same problem we had with the 2020 election with Trump. Tried. They worked tirelessly. Couldn't come up with anything that you could sink your teeth in and say, yep, that's it, right there. It's just not true. Simply not true. Uh, as far as Delbert being done in the state, I don't really know. I don't know if he has any future political aspirations or not. He can't run for lieutenant governor again. He could run for governor. I don't know uh, if that's on his radar or not. Just don't know. Thomas and Greenwood said that uh, I'm riding in Gerard for president, or maybe Gordon if I'm voting in Moss Point. <laughs> Didn't Soros pay for his Harvard education? Talking about Vivek Ramaswamy, man, I don't know. All I know is the guy's brilliant. He's the most articulate, in my view, candidate in the race. He makes more sense than anybody, and he very closely aligns with my vision for the future of this country. i tell you something else is, He'll talk to anybody. If you saw his, his um, exchange with a transgender activist, it was awesome, the way he handled it. He's just good like that. And he's, he, I've seen a uh, video of him speaking on college campus, talking about abortion. And the pro-choice people, they're, I mean, they're militant. They're fanatical. They're crazy. And they start running at him, you know, shouting him down. And he, they get stopped by security, and they're escorting her out. And he says, no, let, let them talk. Let them talk. I mean, I just, I respect that. And they had a reasonable exchange. They don't agree, but it was civil. Every single presidential campaign season, there is someone who comes just out of nowhere. Right. You know, somebody that you would never expect that always surprises you. I didn't see that. Somebody on the ceasefire text line asked if I've checked out Doug Burgum. I have, and, I, and I've talked about this before. I've known of Mr. Burgum from my career in the IT world. He was involved with a company called Great Plains Software from from where he's from, up there in the the Dakotas. Got purchased by Microsoft in the early 2000s for a couple of billion. He made a fortune on that, of course. He's a very bright guy. He would actually be a good president. I just don't think he's got the name ID and the other necessary uh, attributes to get elected. I'm not sure Vivek does either, honestly, but I, I would put him at the top of the list in terms of how I align with with the, the ideals of the candidates and just who I think would be a good leader for the country. We're out of here today, back tomorrow. Thank you for joining us. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk.
Talk Mississippi Media Production.